Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide this episode of Stuff They Don't Want You To Know is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select game Gaming monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you. You are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know, featuring the most important part of this show, you, specifically you, if you are a samurai, ancient astronaut chick, and Kelly, or some other people. We may have some surprises today. Uh, we want to thank, as always, everybody who has contacted us via social media, through a Ouija board, uh, uh, through, you know, a phone call or uh, an email. We read every single email we get, uh, and it makes our day to get correspondence from some of the absolute smartest people we know. Uh, we're going to have a lot of follow-ups in this week's listener mail segment. Uh, we're going to learn about drug policy. Excited to hear about stuff hotels don't want you to know. And before we do any of that, I was thinking we kick off with a piece of correspondence that will prompt an interesting discussion, I believe. It's from our longtime recurring correspondent, none other than Samurai. You guys remember Samurai, right? How could I forget? <laughs> How could I forget? Uh, Samurai writes... Uh, a pretty in-depth response to our recent strange news segment. And I'll read parts of this, uh, and then we'll, we'll skip to a story that specifically spoke to him in that segment. It says, Samurai here, this last strange news segment had to be one of your best. Though I would suggest Matt not go into career in sex ed for any school district. I think he's kidding, Matt. Uh, I know lots about sex, Samurai. <laughs> so much. Yes, our, our kids at Fairfax uh, would eat him alive for the way he presented his treatise on procreation. So that's just, by the way, we know Samurai well enough that he can always, you know, give us a little, ah, you guys. Yeah, ribbed for our pleasure. I allegedly <laughs> made a baby once. <laughs> and so, so Samurai talks to us about some of the dangers of drugs, which we may save for a future exploration. I wanted to highlight uh, what Samurai is saying in response to three parent news. You'll recall recently, folks, that we we talked about 
a beautiful slash terrifying breakthrough in the United Kingdom whereby you can hack uh, a child, basically hack a fetus, uh, such that you can remove the uh, bad mitochondrial DNA that can cause certain very tragic genetic conditions and diseases. And the way you do this is by sniping in just a little bit of DNA from a third parent. This is Samurai's response. He says, I'm hit and miss with this. I see the benefits, but I also have to think that nature knows how to do it better, so why screw with it? I'm also reminded of the series The Expanse. If you have not seen it, please do. I'm going to co-sign Samurai. It's great if you're a fan of science fiction. Uh, There are a couple of spoilers here, light spoilers for The Expanse. Spoiler warning. Three, two, one. Here we go. The character James Holden is from a genetic collective in Montana and has eight parents, each of them donating genetic features that they would hope would benefit him. Biologically, it is possible, as we saw with the baby in the UK. Theologically, there are arguments about the spirit and soul of such a child. I was raised Jewish and almost, as I know I have shared, became a rabbi. As such, I was taught that when a child is conceived, there is a shard, a spark of God that is shared through the conception into the child. Now, says Samurai, I am not a religious person anymore, but I have learned over the years that there is a lot out there that cannot always be explained away by science. And I think many of us in the audience today would agree with you there, Sam. Awry. Uh, More than likely, that is simply because we have not leveled up our science game to understand that part yet. I accept that, and if you consider Occam's razor, that makes the most sense. But what if? What if we are messing around with things we should not? We might not notice the changes now, but these children will reproduce and carry that new genetic info down the road with them. What will this mean for the great, great, great grandkids? I don't know, says Samurai. I just think that while I understand the need to do some of these things, we need to tread cautiously. Are we approaching a point where you can go into a clinic, the man puts his, I love this, rubby bits into a machine and takes his stuff, then looks at the woman's stuff and comes up with a menu of options. Remove this disease, add this characteristic, make them taller, leaner, smarter. It reminds me of that line from Syndrome in The Incredibles. When everyone is super, no one will be. We will be novelties when we are mundane and ordinary. He says... While I am not religious, I am spiritual, if that makes sense. I believe that there is a natural order to the universe. Things happen for their own reasons. Nature is today what it is because the process works. The weak things are naturally weeded out. The strong things survive. What happens when we start tweaking things? Do we end up with a world full of orange-skinned, blonde-toupéed, fat politicians running the weeping masses? Who knows? At some point, there will be a great correction and things will set themselves right. So we're going to pause there. Again, this is a wonderful letter. Really like the way Samurai writes. And I think a lot of people listening today would agree with you. You know, uh, we were pretty, pretty unanimous in our previous discussion that it's a question of what would you not do to save your child or ensure that your child has the best quality of life possible. But I wanted to ask you guys a couple of things about this letter. First and most importantly, do you guys like the description rubby bits as much as I do? It's like right up there with calling it the Australia or the Netherlands. I dig it. (laughs) Rubby bits. All right. So uh, we're going to make that grubby rubby bits. Yeah. (laughs) The grubby rubby bits, the rubby grubby bits. We're going to make that official stuff. Then I want you to know lore. Well done. Thank you, Samurai. Do you think it'll happen within our collective lifetime that there will be this sort of customizable catalog for some percentage of the population when they're when they're giving birth? Like, do you think it'll go beyond disease prevention to more cosmetic stuff? Of course. Within our lifetime, you think? Uh, yeah. Why would it not? I, I don't I just don't. I don't see a version where it doesn't happen, at least for the upper echelon who can already modify their own bodies in Uh incredible ways that most people will never be able to just because there's, Uh you don't have any access from a monetary standpoint. Why? Yeah. Why would you not have designer babies in geez, 15, 20 years? I feel like the recent um, 
well, the way I measure history, the recent uh, controversy surrounding stuff like stem cell therapy and even stuff like vaccination, they are going to be nothing compared to the controversy and violence that comes to the idea of genetically modifying children en masse and normalizing it. I, I think we're going to see offshoot populations that for one reason or another, perhaps uh, a lack of trust in medicine or perhaps theological, spiritual reasons, they're going to go off and become increasingly isolated and only do you know natural-born children. Like The controversy with Christian science has nothing on this. And I, I think it could could lead to violence, but also at what point does it become a human right versus just the the reserve of of the very privileged and wealthy? No, it doesn't feel like a human right to me. You know what I mean? It's just like <sighs> it's extra. It's yeah. like human plus, you know, I mean, we, we don't all we can't all uh, afford a Tesla. You know, we can't all af- afford a smart home, whatever it might be. We don't all get to live in uh, San Francisco. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just the reality of, of, of life. And if this is something that doesn't come stock in the system, then it's extra. And it requires paying for it. But, you're, but it does open up a philosophical conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, of like if something exists that could prevent the horrible parts of being human, does that then be? But I mean, we're not even entitled to health care in, in this country. So it's like, yeah, it's a philosophical question, but we already kind of know the answer, at least in, in, in as much as our system works. Yeah, but I don't know if that means it's the correct answer. I, no, it's I certainly not. Saying, it's certainly it's, not. But it runs again the the large term over the long the large horizon. The big worry is speciation, right? Eventually creating a new class of uh, Ubermen, human, human <laughs> entities. Yeah, but Ubermen uh, who are, you know, th- there is a world where eventually, if that stuff continues. Um, we may run into a thing where there's a new kind of human and they can't interbreed successfully. That's very far away. I don't know if that's within our lifetime. That's a really good point, but it also could just widen the divide between the haves and the have-nots Absolutely. To, the point, to the point where these over people, you know, for lack of whatever the hell we want to call them, want to squash out the others, because mm-hmm. they 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 are now superfluous, you know, and I'm not, you know, that sounds very grim, um, but with great power often comes corruption, you know, and uh, I could see whole countries being radicalized by something like this, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. It is the dream of all oppressors, all human oppressors, uh, to encode a caste system, right? Like the the feudalists, the neo feudalists, they would all love this if you are, if you are running, um, say, a very race based dictatorship like North Korea, then this helps you further homogenize your population. You can breed out the recessive traits that you don't love, that don't fit your kind of human Yukonuba idea of what the breed should be. Uh, this goes eugenic in a very bad way, very quickly. Um, I'm also wondering, and this is a question for geneticists in the audience. I think you would find this of interest too, Samurai. I'm also wondering whether someone could be genetically modified in an extreme way after adulthood, right? Or in childhood. Like, what is what is the threshold? Could you inject something in someone or subject them to a treatment regimen such that they start to grow taller again in their like their 40s how how does it work how how do you create that without inevitably also causing cancer that's mm. i think one of the one of the big ones to search out and i i don't know i mean it does feel it does feel like this is an inevitable direction i'm wondering when certain modifications will be outlawed right 
What do you think about like the idea of uh, feeding frenzy on a cure for cancer? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we know that big pharma uh, has a tendency to not always make everything accessible to everybody and something with that high of a demand. Are we entitled to have that available to literally everyone who needs? I mean, entitled is a, is a strong word. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, guess, I guess speaking back to our system and the way our country works. Is it reasonable to expect that something of that high demand would be available to everybody? Now, I know they did make the COVID vaccine available to everybody, but you'll remember at the beginning of it, it it wasn't. And there were people that were jumping the line and, you know, flexing their interests and pulling strings to get it, you know, quicker. Um, And we know that there were people in the elite that were getting that sooner than others. I, 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 I feel certain. And you're onto something too. Like the best way to answer that question regarding a feeding, a possible feeding frenzy for cancer treatments and whether that would be a right. In my mind, it hinges on the path the research takes. If it is a vaccine, a preventative treatment, if you could be, uh, for lack of a better phrase, inoculated against some sort of specific type of cancer, then it seems like it would most logically be rolled up into the typical vaccinations people get in early childhood. But if right? it's some kind that, of bespoke boutique treatment. Yeah. But if it's something where, let's say, you are in your 50s and you get the all-too-common nasty surprise of something like uh, prostate cancer, then if there is that treatment plan that you would have to get to, then inevitably what we're going to run into is a situation where people engage in what's called medical tourism. The system in the U.S. is so broken right now that many people, possibly some listening today, have looked at the math, what they could expect their insurance company to actually pay for, and they've said, hey, it's cheaper for me to buy a ticket over to, you know, Spain or Portugal or to just uh, head over to um, uh, a country in South America and receive the treatment there and then fly back. Heck, maybe first class. Why not? We eat at a fancy steakhouse on the way home and still save money versus what this, again, very broken medical system would charge them. And that's not a ding on the doctors. That's not a ding on the nurses or the people who are busting their butts around the clock to save people's lives and improve their quality of life. It's the system. That's the problem. Or like organ transplants, for Mm -hmm. example. Right. Yeah. Right. Like growing an organ. There's another uh, samurai. You probably already know this. There's another great debate that's going on in Judaism about the origin of an organ. Right. Can you receive an organ that has come from, you know, a non-Jewish person? Can you receive an organ from someone who has violated typical precepts of belief, you know? And this could happen uh, in any any belief system, right? Like, how, how do the lines blur? How do we keep ourselves spiritually on the right course in a time when science is improving so quickly? I, as far as the nature of the soul, I'm not really sure how to approach that. I did read something really, really spooky recently from Yuval Noah Harari, who uh, you guys know is, is a wonderful writer for uh, a wonderful writer of several books like Sapiens uh, and a couple other great things. Uh, he said that increasingly the human mind and what we call a soul is no longer a black box, right? Now the technology is here to monitor it. I would point to that conversation with Harari as a a good jumping off point for people who are concerned about the nature of the soul and the world of human genetic modification. I don't know the answer. I don't know anyone who does. Do do you think, um, given enough advancement in medical technology, that the idea of something like a soul could literally be disproved? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't okay. because it's it's just so. It's so philosophical. You know, the brain, the human brain is at a great disadvantage. It is the only organ that studies itself, mm. right? And it doesn't have the distance or the perspective <laughs> to really to really crack down on some questions. Uh, we know very, very little about the human brain other than, other than the basic mechanics of how it works. But the genetic contraption that is the human being is even more complicated. The, the scariest point in my opinion, that Samurai raises here 
is the domino effect across generations. Geneticists, correct me if I'm wrong here, but here's my layman's understanding analogy of how this works. Imagine you walk into a really nice big house, and it's one of those houses where there's a bank of light switches. There's like eight light switches. And you, the first thing you do, you try to figure out which switch does what, right? But then you see that these switches might affect more than one source of light, more than one system. Maybe one also operates a a ceiling fan. And then that changes how the other bank of lights on the other side of the, uh, uh, it's a nice place. So atrium, on the other side of the atrium, uh, the, the third light in that bank of eight by the front door, let's say it turns on two, two or three different banks of lights, right? A hallway, part of the atrium or entryway, and then some other thing. And now when you go across that, because that one switch has already been flipped, the operation of the lights on that second bank change. So like you could, it's conceivable that you could go in and alter a genetic switch for one thing, deleterious medical condition, maybe something cosmetic, Like for some reason, you don't want your kid to have hanging earlobes. You want them to have the recessive attached earlobes. So you you flip that switch and all of a sudden now the kid has a higher likelihood of another genetic issue or the kid has heterochromia and one of their eyes are inexplicably blue. The thing is humans just don't know. So if we have something that is a transmissible genetic trait, then is there a situation where three generations hence, two people meet, they fall in love, they have a kid, and the genetic bill comes due because we didn't understand how all these modifications upon modifications affect each other? I hope that doesn't happen, but I think it's distressingly plausible unless we know more about the human genome and the way it interacts with itself. I think that analogy works for all human endeavors. Over here, flipping switches, screwing up the next bank of switches. (laughs) (laughs) And then going back. Yeah, maybe, perhaps you are right, Matt. Um, We're going to to end this one here with a appeal, a call for help. Any geneticist in the crowd tonight, please let us know your take on this. 1-833-STD-WYTK, conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. And you don't have to be a geneticist. Let Let us know. What's on your mind? Do you agree with us that something like this is inevitable? Is that a good or a bad thing? We're going to take a pause for a word from our sponsor, and we will be back with more correspondence from you. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada yada yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada yada means, uh, you know, Taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life and you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with more messages from you. In this case, a message from longtime and uh, delightfully frequent uh, contributor Kelly D. Um, responding to uh, our strange news conversation around the drugs store that opened and was quickly shut down in Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, subject being of this email, Vancouver Harm Reduction. Uh, just listening to your latest release, and I want to fill you in on some info and recommend a fantastic podcast that is on the ground in the trenches of the opioid crisis. Vancouver has been at the forefront of so many drug enforcement and harm reduction initiatives. It was the first place in North America to decriminalize opioids. It was the first place to have needle exchanges and safe injection sites. The only thing that criminalization of drugs causes is an increase in potency and a decrease in safety. Think back Amen. to prohibition. Yeah, and to, to, to this point, man, we've talked about this on Ridiculous History. Uh, on this show as well, prohibition, there were all these impurities that were put into the bootleg alcohol, you know, and I think some of that was even done by the government <laughs> really, really shamefully and uh, in a misguided fashion to, I guess, punish people for trying to sneak their their hooch or whatever. Um, but again, you know, when you have folks doing things off the books without any kind of regulation or oversight, you are inevitably going to have uh, impurities and, and problems and, and whatever the thing is. So, you know, outright um, abolition of certain substances is always going to lead to outright black market um, uh, practices of juicing the stuff up to make the most of your product and cut it with whatever else you can to make it seem like it's more potent than it actually is. In the case of fentanyl, we know that that requires a very small amount to achieve an effect similar to uh, heroin, to something, you know, we, we mix it with a small amount of heroin. And in fact, uh, I believe in Vancouver and around the world, it is being found that heroin, quote unquote, is almost 90%, if not 100% fentanyl with other you know, cutting agents as well. And um, as we know, because of the, the, the stories that we see every day, uh, there are people dying from this. So let's get back to this. Think back to prohibition. Alcohol didn't disappear. It simply went underground. Thousands lost their lives to poisoned alcohol and spirits. Incentivizing non-drug use has never worked either because of the medical nature of how it uh, and the brain works. Kelly D goes on to propose some actual solutions. How about building government widespread housing, widespread government housing like we did in the 80s? Notice how food banks only started after government affordable housing wasn't being built. Uh, build enough treatment centers to treat all those who need and want to be treated. Provide a safe supply to those who want it. People won't steal from you to buy drugs with proceeds if they already have those drugs uh, from legal means um, and they're clean. Uh, put more mental health workers on the ground instead of police. The province of British Columbia is losing 20 plus people a month to drugs. Decriminalization is only a small step in the right direction and has characteristics similar to the Portugal model. Um, the Portugal model, Ben, correct me if I'm wrong, is, is I believe Portugal has decriminalized all drugs entirely yeah. or made drugs basically legal, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Uh, Portugal in July of 2001, so more than two decades ago, they decriminalized the personal use and possession of all illicit drugs. And, you know, as we always have to note when we say that, remember, decriminalized is not the same thing as right. legalized, That's right? right. The, the, um, the way it works in Portugal is if there is a case of consumption, purchase, or possession of up to what they reckon to be a 10-day supply of any illicit drug, they refer it to an, an administrative panel, and that panel will make recommendations for treatment, fines, warnings, etc. But if you are trafficking or cultivating 
illicit substances, as well as possessing enough weight to be more than 10 days worth, then it's still a criminal offense. So that's very similar, Ben, to what's happening in Vancouver, because, I mean, the whole point of the story was this gentleman opened this drugs store uh, in order to, you know, help people get a clean, tested supply of various illicit substances, including, you know, opioids, uh, crack cocaine, powder cocaine, uh, et cetera. I believe MDMA maybe maybe was one of them. But um, distribution and sale of these substances is still very much illegal, which is why this man got scooped up and his business got shut down. How is the Portugal model different than that? The Portugal model is primarily meant to treat, a, I would argue, to treat addiction as a medical condition rather than a crime. So you would still, like if you were this guy and you traveled to Lisbon and you opened a pop-up shop similar to what he was doing in Canada, you would still be arrested. That That aspect of it would not change because mm-hmm. you would be you would have more than a 10-day supply. You would be actively trafficking in illicit substances. Okay, so it sounds to me like what uh, Kelly D is saying is that the the model in British Columbia uh, is still pretty similar to what's being done in Portugal. Uh, it is f- emphasizing treatment over punitive measures, you know. But I think um, Kelly is also saying this is just one step, t- you know, and, and, and it, it really does require – an understanding of how addiction really works to keep people from dying because British Columbia, um, you know, as mentioned here, is losing lots of lives still, despite these more uh, progressive drug policies. So, you know, we're, we're still not there yet. Um, and I think we're miles, light years away from anything like that in the United States. So you know, there are some places that I believe uh, are, you know, maybe inching towards more um more of this kind of thinking, like, you know, Portland, for example. Oh, um, did you see Malaysia? This will interest Kelly as well. Kelly, Noel, Matt, everybody. Malaysia is aiming to introduce a law to decriminalize the possession and use of small quantities of drugs. And the reason they're doing it is because they have to reduce prison overcrowding because so many people have been arrested. And as you know, the uh, Southeast Asian theater there is incredibly strict on on every drug but alcohol and Mm -hmm. tobacco. That's right. I've even heard of certain cases where folks are in danger of being executed. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Several countries for a while had, um, like Malaysia had a death penalty on the books for selling drugs. Uh, You can check out um, any number of lists like Iran, Thailand. Thailand recently decriminalized uh, cannabis, I believe. Uh, Dubai, Saudi Arabia. Essentially, check. We're not going to judge you folks, but whenever you travel somewhere, check in advance to see what their policy is toward these substances. And keep in mind that in some cases, people can and have been arrested for possession because they failed a drug test. And having a trace of something like cannabis or insert whatever thing here in your system, authorities counted that as possessing it. That's pretty gnarly, in my opinion. Sure. I mean, look at the case of Brittany Griner, you know, the WNBA player uh, who was detained in Russia for having THC vape cartridges. Obviously, there was a lot of... uh, (laughs) Uh, political theater involved in that detainment, you know, because uh, we don't play super nice with Russia and they wanted to make a big, you know, big to do of it, a big splash of it and sort of flex on us. But yeah, that's scary stuff. If you're in a country you're unfamiliar with and you get caught with something like that, uh, you could be thrown in jail and subject Mm -hmm. to their laws. It's terrifying thought. And will have to be politically convenient and expedient for your home government to make enough of a stink to get you back. Right. You could just be left to rot. And unless, you know, enough people raise a fuss, like you said, Ben, that's just, (laughs) that's all she wrote. You know, Uh, it it, it absolutely could go that way. Um, We teased a podcast recommendation. Um, Kelly goes on, want to learn about the real situation from people who have been on the ground uh, and lived through the past two medical crises. Crackdown podcast uh, is the recommendation that Kelly can't recommend enough. 
P.S. We should also look into Edison Motors, who's developing a production semi-truck that is a plug-in hybrid. They're doing phenomenal work here in British Columbia as well. Um, I don't know. It's all in there. I think we kind of had the conversation as we went, honestly. Uh, Kelly D., thank you for, for, for this uh, you know, from-the-ground insight. Um, I think we're all on the same page, and at the very least, that drug addiction should be treated as that, you know, addiction as a as a mental health crisis and not a punitive litigation based crisis, you know. And we also know from our conversations with uh, Jason Flom and and uh, the the Lava for Good folks and that panel that we're looking forward to releasing soon, um, that a lot of the laws in the United States that do exercise such draconian influence over people's lives are racist inherently and designed to make people powerless and basically capitalize on their uh, mental health crises and throw them into a system that they will be hard-pressed to ever find their way out of for the uh, purposes of free labor, a lot of head shaking going on. I'm with I'm with it, Matt. I mean, it's it sucks. <laughs> it's like we've all known people that have struggled with addiction and we've all uh, seen how it can have a horrible impact on on families and on, you know, people's jobs and livelihoods and people's health. Um, but at the end of the day, these are people who are struggling and suffering and, and, uh, and often given the options and the opportunity would want to get past that. Sure. I think I don't know. I don't want to speak for y'all. I just I I think uh, that's been my observation. Well, as soon as it becomes, I mean, look at the cannabis legislation. As soon as it becomes more profitable to have a different drug policy, that will occur. However, we have to remember that powerful forces, oftentimes the same people making the laws, make money and do profit based on the criminalization. It's kind of like the tobacco industry. If you are dedicated to, if you have ensconced yourself in a system and you're making money off of this, no matter how much human misery creates, then there has to be a very powerful opposite force or a very powerful enticing argument to get you to change. You know what I mean? Like hmm. that's you, you're a predator. Those forces are predators in the human ecosystem. That's what they are. In, in many cases. And that's, again, there are a lot of people who are doing excellent work with decriminalization. There are a ton of people in law enforcement. They don't want to jam somebody up and ruin their lives because they uh, were in possession of some small amount of an ill-advised drug. But if the laws force them to do it, then they have to do it. That's right. And and we also, of course, know that the opioid crisis, or at least, you know, one of them, of several here in the United States, uh, were caused by corporations, caused by the Sackler family, you know, and and the permissive prescribing of very, very powerful opiates that then became street drugs themselves, you know, from people selling their supply, their legally obtained supply. Um, so we know there's a lot of callousness and uh, and kind of money changing hands when it comes to gambling with people's mental health. And when it comes to these kinds of addictions, certain people could take a drug and take it or leave it, walk away from it, never have an issue. But there are people, whether it be genetic or uh, whatever it might be, that are predisposed to really getting that monkey on your back real quick and having a very difficult time turning back. Well, guys, I've got one more crackpot idea that goes against everything Kelly is saying, and I apologize, but I've just got to say it because if I withhold it, then I'll feel bad. It's Matt's crackpot corner. Let's go. All right, Matt's crackpot corner. Let's massively inflate the value of human blood. Like somehow make it to the point where human blood is crazy expensive to get, which means donating it like a normal amount that you would maybe donate in a year's time equates to a yearly salary but it's got to be untainted by any kind of substances but you could just give blood and that's all you got to do and you just live (laughs) all right how are we gonna do that how are we gonna do that (laughs) tbd i don't know I love it. All right. That was, that was, this has been Matt's Crackpot Corner. Um, that's, the, that's the thing, though, Matt. I mean, there are no simple answers. There are no simple solutions. As Kelly pointed out, incentivizing non-drug use is very difficult because of the medical nature of how drugs affect the brain. Um, you can get to a point in an addiction where no amount of money is going to make you want to stop doing the drug. 
you have to be tied down, you know, and and and, and sweat it out. There, you know, you this it enslaves your brain and enslaves your mind, and that's real. And and we're talking about the drugs. That, if if anybody watched uh, the opioid crisis movie or series, rather, um, which um, what is it called? Dope sick, I think, is what it was called. I mean, you see, uh, you know, it's dramatized, obviously, but like a, a character who's prescribed oxycontin for a legitimate back injury that she sustained working in like mines, you know, in very difficult situation, and then just was one of those people that just got a taste for it, turned her into a totally different person. Because they were fast and loose with the types uh, of doses they were prescribing to folks like that without any thought into how it might affect them psychologically in the long term. Because it's all about profits. Sorry to soapbox. This is just difficult stuff and there is no easy answer. But anyway, thanks again, Kelly D, for the insight. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and then come back with one more piece of listener mail. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life and you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back and we're going to ancient astronaut chick for a message about a hotel or lots of hotels. Ancient astronaut chick says, good evening, longtime listener here, and it is not my first time writing to y'all. Anyways, I was listening to the latest strange news and as a Knoxville, Tennessee native and longtime Hilton employee, Hilton, that's That's the hotel we were talking about just uh, last week, I believe. I was horrified to hear what this guest experienced at the Hilton downtown Nashville. That's the uh, toe sucker, guys. Since you guys said you wanted an episode on stuff hotels don't want you to know, I thought I would share a few things. Awesome. Thank you. I've been employed by the Hilton franchise since 2016. I have always been front desk, and I am currently running a front desk department in Denver. The first point I would like to share is that it is no surprise this night manager was able to access this room because at most properties, the front desk controls all master keys and can generally access these at any time. If he was a manager, he probably even had his own master key. Really, a hotel employee can enter your room anytime without warning 
If there is not a DND on the door, that's the do not disturb sign or light or switch or whatever you might find at your hotel. If you have a DND on, a staff member must call your room prior to entering. Guys, just to stop here really quickly, I didn't know that it actually prevented any kind of action with host with the hotel staff. Uh, in my mind, even if you put that thing on your door, let's say housekeeping or anybody else could still walk up to your room and just knock and be like, hey, uh, what's going on? You in, you in there mm. at all? Yeah, I was a surprise to me as well, Matt, because I mean, to the point where I thought, and maybe you can correct us on this, uh, AAC, but I, I thought uh, it might be a Hilton-specific policy. I think it uh, must be. Because we know that in cases of emergency, law enforcement totally doesn't, doesn't have to respect a D&D sign. Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. Well, let's continue here. Building off this, unless you have the deadbolt on, your room can be unlocked by staff any staff, really. That being said, we do have a tool to unlock a deadbolt door as we need this for when guests accidentally latch it and lock themselves out. My question here, guys, do you think that includes, uh, what's that special hotel lock? Like the one that folds over on itself? With yeah, the... it does. Oh, is yeah, there a name for that? I want to know. It's got the little ball. Like, yeah, a little flippy thing. boy. Yeah. The uh -huh. flippy boy. <laughs> I know there's some other ones that a uh, swing bar. They're called a swing bar. A swing bar, but then there's other ones that are uh, flatter. Different yeah. flippy boys. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then the little flavors. chain latch as well, mm -hmm. all of which can be opened by just, hotel staff. Yeah, just something that's really thin that can fit through that door and push it open. Or just really. a swift kick. Oh, yeah, I guess that would work. Uh, <laughs> I know it can happen because I was, you might enjoy this ancient astronaut chick. I was, uh, I one time got locked on a balcony, locked out on a balcony of a hotel. Oh, God. And the, uh, the I can't remember, I think this was in the U.S., but the um, front desk people, I ended up having to, thankfully I had a cell phone, so I called the front desk from the cell phone and then got someone to, a, a very nice guy uh, came up and broke in, right, uh, opened those locks and then opened the balcony door such that I could I could get in. It was too far up for me to jump down. And uh, and I still, dude, if you're listening, I still think you were lying to be nice. I don't think that happens all the time. But I really appreciate you, and I think you're a good person. Uh, and so in this case, maybe that confirms what AAC is telling us, because in that case, we did have someone call in advance and grant permission to enter. Was it at a Hilton? Uh, I don't believe so. Well, then we have no way to confirm. We, we don't. We have to start calling all of the other hotels in the world. <laughs> all the four the seasons. Which four seasons did Ben get locked on a balcony? Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, I'm just yeah. joking. I'm just no, joking. it's perfect. Yeah, Ben <laughs> exclusively. Ben insists. He's in his rider. He only stays yeah. at the four seasons. Yeah. I only get locked out at the four seasons. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Red Roof. Totally fine. <laughs> I prefer to stay in the third season myself. Um, that was a bad hotel joke, but yeah. Well, Red Roof. What's the one where they keep the light on for you? Uh, Remember that? Is that Motel Six? Motel, no, Tom. It, I'm Tom Bodet with it, yeah with Motel Six. We we'll it keep is? the light on for you. Yeah. They don't really do those anymore, but they sure used to. Tom Bodet <laughs> is now an NPR guy. He was even that. I mean, it was it was always like yeah. He, he's he's always on those panel shows. I'm excited about this uh, stuff. Hotels don't want you to know. Uh, episode. I've been diving into some research here and, and just, I, I know we're continuing with your letter, AAC, uh, just to say thank you. It's it's tremendously helpful. Oh yeah, definitely. Thank you. Uh, guys, I just want to know about towels. Like how clean are those towels really? I want to talk about comforters, duvet UV covers. Lights. I want to talk about. <laughs> also the, yeah, the UV light thing. Uh, some people who are germaphobes or, or quite particular have a really difficult time with hotels. Basically, tried taking their own decontamination kits and. But was it you that pointed out that the top sheet is your worst enemy, or the the duvet that definitely never lay on that top because they don't clean it as much, or something like that? Maybe it was you. I can't recall. I can't yeah, maybe so, but uh, you know the the under parts they definitely launder fully every time. But apparently, the cover always get rid of that. Yeah, and keeping books in the, like I have left copies of the stuff they don't want you to know book 
in hotels. Like the Gideon mm-hmm. Bible? You just replace mm-hmm. that right, in the drawer? Right, yeah. next to the Gideon Bible or the Book of Mormon. And I don't, I don't think that's a crime. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure it's not. I don't think leaving people free stuff in a drawer is ever a crime, unless it depends it's like on a what bomb. it is. Well, like yeah, if you leave a gun, yeah, or, or like a virus or something. That's <laughs> right. Kind of like if you uh, leave a gun in a post-it note that says "Go nuts," then you're probably culpable in any any uh, untoward situation that would occur. But indeed, yeah. Well, uh, let's yeah, let's get back to the email, mm. and then there's just one or two other things I want to talk about just on that in that vein at the end, guys. Uh, let's go back to the email. The second point is, going further into what you said about Hilton not taking ownership of this issue because it was a franchised property. Most hotels have three parties involved with the establishment. One, the building owner. Two, the management company. And three, the parent franchise company. At any given time, if a property dips below, quote, brand standards for too long, again, these are Hilton brand standards we're talking about, uh, it can be stripped of its franchise name. Ooh, that would be a mark on the hotel's character. As an employee of Hilton, I'm actually not employed by them, but by the management company that runs my property. So whoever hired this toe-sucking man is actually the management company that runs that property, and Hilton would not have any say in it at all. This can get tricky, as some hotels are Hilton-owned and managed, but to get more confusing, Hilton owns their own management company, which is what runs those properties managed by Hilton. (laughs) Matryoshka dolls, as you'd say, Ben. I mean, it gives there's like a firewall of uh, of culpability, right? It keeps keeps the the higher ups insulated from uh, any kind of fault. Oh, Maybe absolutely. I think that's exactly what we're dealing with, guys. Ooh. And and it takes me to just another thing that I want to talk about in that stuff. Hotels don't want you to know. Episode uh, potential clandestine surveillance. In places that have a lot of diplomats, maybe, or, you know, places, right? Like some, especially Mm -hmm. the higher end hotels that are specifically aimed at that kind of clientele. Mm, I always wonder about that stuff. It's a real thing. Yeah. I mean, especially during, especially during the cold war, but even now afterwards, of course, like there's standing orders in a lot of, um, countries if you're traveling in the u.s uh the private industry guys get it too that you should just assume you are being recorded in your hotel room even in your bathroom stuff like that yeah are they gonna honey trap you if they're not running 24 7 surveillance oh gosh oh it's it's creepy to think about yeah i was i was in a place in um beautiful little place in diplomatic quarter of tokyo i think you uh we all talked about this when we're hanging out off air and I realized that this guy who worked at the restaurant easily spoke six languages and was pretending to not be super great at them mm. and could clearly clock what other people who were uh, working for embassies, what they were talking about. And it was creepy to see him just like flawlessly slide into Dutch. Ooh. Yeah. And just listening and you've got a tiny little notepad and he's like, do, 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 do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I can't help but think of a, of a, of a story or I believe uh, like it was a paste bin thing you found um, with another insider bit of information Ooh. from, uh, I believe JP Morgan chase Ooh. about Ooh. insane levels of surveillance happening to employees of that company, which I believe we're going to roll into an episode that's, coming but it's yeah. wild stuff like yeah. well, I, was, I was blown away by that i mean yeah. like borderline like retinal tracking you know what i mean mm-hmm. like like really micro level invasive surveillance well beyond the scope of what is appropriate for a, an employer to to be able to say oh it's all about productivity no the, the good folks at the hilton are not doing anything no they're like not that. no they're not yeah. no but our, our minds tend to go to the nth degree with yeah, these yeah, kinds yeah. of things you know and it'd That's, be very easy to it, it would be very easy to put in uh some small surveillance devices it's just a possibility the real question is is it worth going to that trouble that's the right? question people are going to answer, you know. Is it worth it? That sounds like a TV show. Let's start let's make that TV show. It'll just be Is it worth it? Really messed up things that companies and other organizations do. <laughs> that's the, <laughs> that's the title of our show, guys. All right, just a few more things from our email we need to cover. Here we go. The third point is that most guests think they're getting back at the hotel when they quote call corporate. 
but this call actually just generates a case which comes right back to the property management of which the guest was complaining about. (laughs) I am the manager. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So the guy said when he went... Uh, took the toe out of his mouth. Uh, oh, all right. Oh, <laughs> Sorry. Perfect. <laughs> all right. Thus giving the property full control of compensation or no compensation of the complaint. If these cases are not closed within 24 hours by the management, HRCC, I guess that's Hilton Corporate, does get the final say of compensation and whether or not the hotel must pay. Here are a couple more random facts. We can lock anyone out of their room. We will not let police in your room without warrants. That's helpful. Thank you very much for that. Really appreciate that. We should never tell anyone you stayed with us unless their name is on your room as well as you, or if you give permission specifically. So you're saying those scenes where someone just casually saunters into the hotel and say, oh, you got a guest, uh, so-and-so and so-and-so, is that, uh, what's their room number? <laughs> like... Well, you know, a tall woman, like, are they allowed, if you, if you have their full name, they will call up to the room, but they're not supposed to tell you the room number, right? Or like give you any information. I mean, again, this is all Hilton policies. Right. They're not supposed to though. I I think you could get around it with a little bit of tricky social engineering, which is always going to be a vulnerability or a vector, but uh, it, it feels very reasonable. It feels like a security concern. And then Also, question for you, AAC, please write in again. Have so many questions. Can you use a pseudonym? How easy is it? Like, I know you probably have to have your government name on a card that people have to hold for incidentals or whatever, but can you say, I'm uh, I'm staying here as, uh, you know... Bombazine Barry. Or I something. thought this came up. Maybe it was an out of out of podcast conversation, but like you, you are you pretty much are allowed to do that in carte blanche, from so, my understanding. Yeah. You just have to give obviously give them an ID and a card for incidentals, and just let them know that you're a real person. Um, but but for the intents and purposes of people interacting with them from the outside world, they they yeah, an assumed name I think is. Legit. Do hotels take your ID or do they just take a card? Like any card. Just give me That's something I can charge. Typically, it's I don't pretty, know that yeah. I think they take the ID in case you're doing credit card theft. I think it's and just that is true. Usually, I mean, you know, hell, my local record store of choice uh, asks for your ID if you're using a debit card. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. they, it's just different practices. If you're booking online, then there's not really a way that they ask you for ID. Yeah, I've, I've usually been asked for ID. I, I, in, now that I'm thinking about it, I think, I think four that's places right. mm-hmm. that yeah. it's on to. It's a good safeguard. It makes sense because ah. you could have literally stolen somebody's ID or stolen somebody's credit card and then exactly, you know, booked if it. If they don't ask for ID, sleep with one eye open, man. I kind of tend to agree, Ben. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Sleep with both eyes open, or just don't sleep at all. Grip in your pin, Sleep is the cousin of death. And what do we say to death? Not, Not today. today. Yeah, well, we say liquid death. death. No, I'm just joking. I God. still. This is such a terrible <laughs> name for water. I love it. I don't know. <laughs> people, people are, are crazy for the stuff. I guess it's just like it's it, so it, everybody <laughs> should drink water. It just reminds me of like the things where. Uh, adults try to dress up vegetables so exactly. kids won't know they're yeah. eating vegetables. It's you know, edgy yeah. water. Yeah. Hell it's yeah. dangerous water. Calling celery death stalks now. You let's know what I mean? Let's do it. Got my armless palmer and let's go back to the email for one second. I'm sorry, armless palmer? Is that the flavor of liquid death? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, it's tea and some Yeah, like an Arnold Palmer. Flavor. Yeah, sure. But it's, yeah, it's called All an armless palmer. Just wanted to clarify <laughs> All I know is that it's delicious. Okay, last couple of points here. Yes, we do take your lost and found items that are never claimed. Mm -hmm. Of course Mm -hmm. you do. We get hotel rooms under an employee rate starting at $45 a night. What? Even in Milan? Congratulations. (laughs) Nice. Especially in Milan. (laughs) And, And you know what? You earned it. That's right. That's that's no different than like airline employees, though. That's pretty standard. You know, they either get a really good rate or they get to fly standby for free. I mean, I, you know, I get that. That's a cool fringe benefit. That's oh, awesome. I think it's great. Oh, here's the last little point here. We can't charge you a smoking fee unless we find physical evidence that you smoked in the room. So uh, destroy the evidence, everybody, or just don't I saw do. that too, man. That that one. Um pinged for me. I remember 
I remember being in Hawaii uh, for the first time and they had one warning about not smoking tobacco. And then they had another much larger warning that essentially equated to, hey, we know you're probably on vacation. Please don't smoke weed in here. Okay. Mm. And uh, I clearly could tell that multiple people at this resort around me were very, very high most of the time. And this is a nice place. So I knew they weren't going to rock the boat. They would just give them that fee at the end. And my question to you, AAC, is does physical evidence count as like the lingering smell? I was about to ask the same thing. I think that counts, right? That is a physical remnant of the offense. You got to wonder too, is there a tool that can detect, you know, the, the, the recent uh, presence of tobacco smoke, you know, on like, say things like curtains. Um, Yes. It's called your mom's nose. (laughs) It's called your mom's nose when you're a teenager. That's what it is. Yeah. Well, and, and is tobacco smoke the same as marijuana smoke? Is it the exact same? Does it interact would, with the hotel in the same way? Does it have the oh, same? Oh, well, I mean, marijuana smoke, you know, typically is thought to not linger in the same way. You know, it'll smell while you're actually smoking it. So I've heard. Um, but <laughs> tobacco smoke, it, it stays. It just it has a way of sticking around. Vaping, yeah, it probably like uh, that disperses. an e-cigarette mm-hmm. or a vaping thing, that, disper- that would disperse pretty quickly. I don't know. These are just interesting questions. I think we're all very excited about the stuff hotels don't want you to know. And we'd love, uh, we'd love additional answers to these questions war stories you know uh, mm-hmm. even the basic stuff like if you work in the industry you might be surprised by how much stuff people outside of the industry don't know like mm-hmm. how does tipping work in the u.s what's the appropriate tip if you you know you're tipping the house cleaner or so on according well, to the little thing yeah. they make me sign it's like 30 percent now <laughs> What do you mean? What do they make you most sign? Of the, most of the places, I don't know if you guys have gone out to eat anytime soon, but oh, at yeah, most yeah. restaurants at this point, they, they start, they 30. hand it to you. And it's like, well, it starts at 20 is like the lowest you can possibly give. And then it goes up to 20. I mean, on most of them that I've been to. And these are crazy high end restaurants. Right. <laughs> and that's the thing, too, is like, uh, if you eat at a crazy high end restaurant, but it really doesn't take that much effort to serve you. But your bill is like three hundred dollars. Are you really supposed to tip thirty percent on three hundred dollars for the person that literally brought your food out one time and refilled your water? Mm-hmm. I don't think that's right, personally. I don't know. Maybe well, it's I, also it's yeah. compounded. That's another thing we could do. Uh, maybe stuff the restaurant industry doesn't want you to know. I, I say we franchise this out, make it a cereal, because there's there's another issue that's happening across the board in the United States, and I I suspect in much of the rest of the world as well, in the U.S. in particular, folks. Basic prices for food are skyrocketing. Yes. Demands for um, tips are also skyrocketing. We know the tip economy can be divisive. We've got a lot of friends who are in the industry, and the reality is that the prevalence of tipping in the U.S. is is entirely happening because large corporations are pushing the burden of a decent wage onto the consumer. I have one last question. Um, If there is evidence of illicit activity left behind, we didn't smoke in the room, but let's say they find like a bunch of, you know, white powder and razor blades like on a countertop or something. Are they required to report that to law enforcement? Good question. Company by company. It's a good question. We need the answer. Because, you know, certain hotel franchises, especially higher end ones, they want to have a reputation for discretion. Oh, yeah. As long as you're not white Lotus, they're not going (laughs) to snitch on you. Right. I mean, as long as you're not throwing TVs through windows and like, you know, leaving dead bodies behind, I would argue it would not be in their best interest to because then you won't stay there again. Yeah, it's it's really all about whether it exposes the uh, owners to liability or disrupts the affairs of other guests. So I, I bet there's a lot, there's a lot that you can sneak by if you're quiet and you're not violating those things. This is not us saying do it. No, we're just saying people but, probably do get away. But at the end of the day, though, you know, again, tip your service uh, folks. You know, the you know the, that are cleaning the room. There are certain hotel situations they're walking into basically like a crime scene and having oh, to clean God, it up. Yeah. Mm. You know. Mm. 
Thanks, ancient astronaut chick, uh, for giving us this insight. Uh, mm-hmm. This person has offered to answer our questions further. So, like ancient astronaut chick, if you have insight to this stuff, why not let us know? Yes, thanks to you, AAC. I feel like we're familiar enough to use cool nicknames with each other now. Uh, thanks, of course, to everybody else who wrote in. We got Kelly, we got Samurai, and hopefully we have you on the way. Join us on the show. Uh, we can't wait to have you. We try to be easy to find online. Boy, do we ever. You can find us online at the Handle Conspiracy Stuff, where we exist on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube conspiracy stuff show on instagram and tiktok and hey make sure you are following us on those social media especially the ones that have video ben i I don't mean to call you out here but i just got to see a version of the mre videos that you've been shooting all praise the west all praise to our buddy west over at station 16 well it's really cool to watch one of those things get opened to understand what's inside of it and the heating element that you have to put inside that bag. I've never seen that before in my life. That I was didn't so know cool. anything about that. I was not privy to the shoot, so I'm looking forward to seeing it for the first time myself. As should you, fair listener, be looking forward to seeing it for the first time yourself, in addition to other uh, various and sundry social media videos we've been cooking up lately that are genuinely a lot of fun, if a little dad on, you know, TikTok kind of vibes. But you know what? <laughs> We own it and we live for it and we will not be shamed by you. (laughs) That's right. And if you don't sip the social meads, you can always uh, shout into the void and know that sometimes the void answers back. In this case, your void shouting will be the following number. Say it with us. 1-833-STDWYTK. I tried to do an echo on that number a while back. And Matt, I don't know why it didn't hit me, but echoing on the K just sounds like we're saying KKK. So we're trying to do an echo for stuff they don't want you to know. No, no. So you call the number, you uh, will hear a familiar voice, we'll hear a beep, like so, beep. That gives you three minutes. Three minutes are yours. Go nuts, get weird. Uh, Tell us what's on your mind. Give yourself that cool acronym, that moniker you always wanted. Let us know if we can use your name and or voice on air. And most importantly, don't censor yourself. The best way to get a lot of information over to us if you got pictures you got links you want to take us to the edge of the rabbit hole send us an email we read every single one we get where we are conspiracy at iheartradio.com Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.